Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. So today we're, of course, going to talk about Christmas and the Christmas story. And we all know that this is the time of year when people really get to enjoy themselves, right? People enjoy food and gifts and family and uh, all those type of things. And those are all great things. Those are all wonderful things. But Christmas is really a celebration of Jesus Christ. It's about, it's really Christ Mass. And you could probably even say more specifically, it's a celebration of the Christmas story of God loving us so much that he sent his son into a human body so that he could be among us and ultimately save us from our sins. And there might be some people in here that are kind of skeptical about that Christmas story. I mean, uh, there might be some that would debate the accuracy of it. Is that actually true? Some might actually uh, debate the significance of it. You know, how do we know that, you know, Christianity is any different than any other religion, that this story or this belief is any different, any better than another story or another belief? There might be others who uh, might question the identity of the babe in the manger. How do we know that that was really the son of God? And, you know, often, you know, those kind of people, you know, in fact, I'm the same way. We, We need some facts and not just to try to rely on faith. And so what I want to do today is I want to together investigate the Christmas story to see if it really is accurate, to see if it really is significant, to see if that baby in the bay, in the manger really is Jesus. So I want to look at this story and see if there's any evidence in it that would reveal to us that this story is not fiction, but it is indeed fact, that it's not false, but it's actually true. And you know, I, I, I know I had a conversation with someone once, and they, they, they weren't from Michigan, and they said, man, the sun doesn't shine here. And I was like, what are you talking about the sun don't shine here? Of course the sun shines. And then I found out later that we have the second least number of days of sunshine in our country. The first is Seattle. And so that, I was like, they were right. The sun don't shine here. You know, so there was a declaration made, and then some facts backed it up. Well, I believe Jesus is everything the Bible says he is. But I want to give you some facts to back it up. And let me say that if these facts prove that indeed he is the Son of God, that Christmas is a legitimate holiday that should be spent worshiping the one that so loved us, he gave us his son, that changes everything. And I want you to be open to that. So I want to start Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. And it reads, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, 
and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So notice, of course, that Mary is engaged to Joseph, but he discovers that she's pregnant. He knows they have not been together. He immediately thinks she's been with somebody else. He's planning to end the engagement, but he's going to do it privately rather than make a public example of her because in that day and age, you could have been stoned for being pregnant out of marriage, out of wedlock. And an angel appears to him and, and in his dream, boy, what a dream that was, and says, no, this, this child is of the Holy Ghost. This child is of God and then gives him a, the responsibility of naming the child. In other words, let him know this is your assignment too. And then the Bible says all of this was done to fulfill a prophecy. In other words, God had declared this would happen hundreds of years before. In fact, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 is where we find this prophecy. It says, so the master is going to give you a sign anyway. A sign. What does a sign do? It gives you evidence, right? Watch for this. A girl who is presently a virgin will get pregnant. She'll bear a son and name him Emmanuel, God with now, here's the key. The book of Isaiah, which is what we just finished reading from, was written between 740 and 680 B.C. You know what B.C. stands for? Before Christ. Now, I know they tried to change it a couple years ago and say before the common era. Everybody knows it means before Christ. So it was, so it was written almost 700 years before Jesus' birth. Almost 700 years before he was born, it was prophesied accurately that it would be said that he was born of a virgin. And it prophesied what one of the names that people would call him. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that 700 years before there's a prediction about the birth of a man through a virgin and what people would call him? And that man happens to end up being the most famous person in the history of the world. Because Jesus is, clearly. And the Bible says about God that he sees the end from the beginning. He, he doesn't sit in time like we do. Our lives are driven by time. But God sits outside of time. And he's able to, to look at the end and then go back to the beginning and tell us this is what's going to happen. Kind of like if I were able to, maybe this five years ago, if I were able to jump in a time machine and I came to this moment and I saw you and then I went back five years and I saw you again and said, guess what? Five years from now, you're going to be sitting at the Detroit Music Hall at FX Church for a Detroit experience. Somebody would have said, yeah, right. What are you talking about? I would have said, yeah, right. No idea. But if I told you that and you thought I was crazy, and then five years later, here you are. You'd say, wait a minute, he really did get in the time machine. 
I mean, something's going on here. And that's really what God would do. That's what he did, not only here, but he would do it over and over and over and over again, is that he would look at, sit outside of time, look at what's to come, and then tell us beforehand, Jesus said it this way, so that you would believe. So one of the things that God revealed to us, that, that he prophesied, was that this man who would be known as the Savior of the world would be born of a virgin, and they would call him Emmanuel. Well, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Let's see if we can find something similar. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, when he was governor, when Q was the governor of Syria. How about that? There we go. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. Now, if we were to keep reading, and we will in a few moments, we'll find out that, of course, Mary gave birth to Jesus in a town called what? Bethlehem. So, this was something else that actually God had prophesied. In fact, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it reads, But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past. The King James Version says he's from everlasting. Will come from you on my behalf. So there's a prophecy in the book of Micah. And once again, the book of Micah was written more than 700 years before Jesus' birth. Micah's an entirely different person than Isaiah. You can look at, you know, the dates of when these books were written. You can find that anywhere. Nobody's going to dispute when they were written. And the book of Micah predicted that Jesus would be born in, get this, a small, insignificant town called Bethlehem. I've been to Israel. I didn't get a chance to go to Bethlehem when I was there, but I, I, I was very aware of the fact that it's actually pretty tiny. That, that, that's why that prophecy reads the way it reads when it says, you know, you are not only a small village, but you're actually the place where the, the one from everlasting will be born. So a couple weeks ago, I had the chance to go look at a, a building that's like what we want to build. I talked a couple weeks ago about how we're looking to hopefully find some land and build a building. Anybody still on board with that? Anybody excited about that? It's a different type of building. We'll talk about it when the time comes. But to go see this building, I had to go to a city called Grass Lake, Michigan. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up here. I, I was born in Henry Ford Hospital 10 minutes from here, maybe 10, maybe 10 minutes. I've been here you know, most of my adult life. had about 10 years where I wasn't here. So I know Detroit. I know Metro Detroit. I know Ann Arbor. I went to school in Ann Arbor. I, you know, I, I had never heard of Grass Lake, Michigan. Am I the only one? Some of y'all like, it. there's a grass lake? Exactly. And when I got there, what did you see? A lot of grass. Not hardly nothing in Grass Lake, Michigan. Just a couple of things. But this building was there. It's just a small, insignificant town. That's Bethlehem. In fact, that's also Nazareth. And the Bible said, prophesied some things about Nazareth as well. So here we are, you know, 
And, and 700 years before his birth, Micah was able to talk about a needle in a, hay, in a haystack. He was able to say exactly where Jesus would be born. And then you really get into how God pulled this off. Caesar decides to have a census. Now, there was a time where historians were puzzled by that. They couldn't understand how the government would require everybody to come back to their hometowns. But eventually, they found a document in AD 104 that was an official government order requiring that very thing. Then they found another document from AD 48 that demonstrated that the entire family would be involved in it. So in other words, actually, these kind of censuses were happening then, where Caesar would say, every 14 years, I want everybody to go home so we can count you and we can tax you. Now, I believe in our country, we do it every 10 years. So we have one coming right now. So, so this census happens to happen right when she's about ready to give birth. Now, just a, a side thought, the trip from where they were, which was Nazareth to Bethlehem, was about 70 miles, 50 to 70 miles. Can you imagine traveling that not by car, not by bus, not by plane, but on probably a horseback or donkey or camel while you're nine months pregnant? Sometimes even doing what God has called you to do can be difficult. But that doesn't mean it's not God. Doesn't mean God's not working on something. Doesn't mean that, that he hasn't timed this perfectly. And if you'll just flow with him, that you'll get to that place where you'll go, I get it now. I'm so, get, so glad I followed your direction. Well, that's with somebody. That's what happened here. So this is timed out so that Joseph has to go to Bethlehem. It turns out, of course, she's going to marry a guy who's a son of David. Bethlehem was the city of David. He would have to go at this time with his fiance because they still weren't married. And then she would give birth while they were there. And God predicted all of this 700 years before. How does that happen? I mean, it just it doesn't happen by coincidence. In fact, it was so well known that this would be predicted that in Matthew chapter 2, we read about the wise men. And in verse 1, it says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? What did they say? In Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. It was so well known that the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem that when King Herod tried to figure out where he was so he could kill him, they were able to go right to the Bible and say, God said it was going to happen in Bethlehem. So notice, you know, if you just think logically, you don't have to be spiritual. If you think logically, how is this possible to predict that this 
baby would be born of a virgin, would be called Emmanuel, among other things, would be born in Bethlehem. And if we were to keep going, one of the things that you find out that happens is that when Herod finds out where Jesus is, and, and yet he doesn't get the specific information he needs, he sends his, his soldiers down into that area, and he has every child two years and under murdered because he doesn't want anybody else to be king besides him. Can you imagine how awful that had to be? Every baby two years and under killed. And the Bible prophesied that in the book of Jeremiah. Talked about the wailing of mothers in that town. How, did, how is that possible? Scientifically, logically, there's only one answer. There's a God who sits outside of time, who, who is predicting the end from the beginning, who was orchestrating things so that his son would be born in this world. So he could save the world. That's the only logical conclusion that there is. We could go even farther. I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of prophecies, but there's another one that talks about the time frame when Jesus would be born. It's in Daniel chapter 9. And you know what? He was born exactly when Daniel prophesied. Isaiah, Michael, Daniel, Jeremiah. Go a step farther in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. I guess so. <laughs> but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. A couple thoughts here. First of all, I want to mention that Jesus, historians tell us, was most likely born in the spring. We know that because the shepherds were watching their flocks at night. And the reason why shepherds watch flocks at night is because at night is when the ewes bore their young, when they would give birth. So theologians argue he was actually born somewhere between March, April, and May. You may say, well, why on earth are we celebrating Jesus' birth on December 25th? Here's the answer. In A.D. 385, Pope Julius I declared December 25th as the day for celebrating Christ's birth. He chose that day partly to challenge the pagan celebration of the Roman god Saturnalia, which was characterized by social disorder and immorality. 
However, Christmas was clearly a day set aside to celebrate the birth of God's Son into the world. Now, see, some people get caught up in that, well, you know, it's a pagan day, or, you know, somebody picked a day. You know, it doesn't matter. Whatever day we choose to celebrate Jesus' birth is a good day to celebrate Jesus' birth. If we decided it was January 1st, that's okay. We decided that it's, it's December 25th. That's the day we're celebrating what God prophesied would happen and what actually happened. So what happened? These shepherds had a faith experience. Man, a moment in time where they experienced the God of the Bible in a supernatural way. They were told that Jesus was a gift that was given to the whole world. And they were told this is how you will identify him. He will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and he would be lying in a manger. Of course, it was not normal for a baby to be put in a manger, which was basically a feeding trough for animals. But a feeding trough would actually have soft hay. It would actually be deep enough that you could put the baby in there and the baby wouldn't roll out. And the reason why he was, the baby was born even in that, in, in that, in that barn-type setting was because there was no room in the inn, right? Except there was more than that. There was, a, there was another reason why God had Jesus born among animals in a, a barn, we would say, and wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I want to read something to you. And this is, I think this is pretty cool. But, you know, I kind of geek out on this kind of stuff. So, you know, if, if, if y'all ain't with it, then just roll with me like that's just Pastor Andre, you know. So but let me read something to you. Luke 12, 2, or 2, 12 tells us the angels appeared to the shepherds at night and the sign identifying the baby as the Messiah was that he'll be wrapped in baby clothes. Sparganu. So historical records reveal what was significant about these clothes. It was common in ancient times to not put what we would call diapers on the baby. Babies would be allowed to walk about with nothing on. Most likely, only the wealthy had enough money to afford such clothing for their children. Otherwise, they ran around naked. Since many people had to leave home and travel to the town of their own ancestors, it is most likely that some wealthy family gave Mary some clothes for Jesus. Isn't that interesting? What is really significant is that Jesus was also in a manger, an animal trough. Jesus lying in an animal trough and ironically being wrapped in rich clothes would be an incredible sign to the shepherds. Swaddling clothes described in the Bible consisted of a cloth tied together by bandage-like strips. It was made from linen or cotton material and was five to six yards long, we are told. And the width of the band was four to five inches. These strips kept the newborn child warm and also ensured that the child's limbs would grow straight. When the baby was finished being wrapped in a swaddling band, it had all the appearance of a mummy. Now check this out. Shepherds would do the same thing for a lamb that was born. They swaddled the lamb to calm it down and to protect it from hurting itself, thrashing around and bruising itself, thus making it unusable as a sacrifice. You see, the cave in which he was born was used for birthing sacrificial lambs. The shepherds were actually shepherd priests. 
The truth is this. Jesus was born in a cave used for the birthing of sacrificial lambs. However, and the most common usage for these lambs that were born in Bethlehem was this. They were destined to become Passover lambs. You know, what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus 33 years later? 30 years later. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Doesn't the Bible call Jesus our Passover Lamb? What, what will happen here? God was showing those shepherds, He was showing all of us that this baby had not just come into the world because God wanted His Son in the world, but He had come to be the sacrificial Lamb that would die for our sins. In fact, we read that earlier where God said to, to, to Joseph that she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. When those shepherds came to see Jesus and they found him in the cave where they housed sacrificial lambs and they found him wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, what they saw was, behold, the Lamb of God. God set all of that up. He had a census call when Mary was super pregnant. Had her being engaged to a man who would have to go to Bethlehem. Had the ends too full so that when it was time for her to give birth, they'd have to go to this cave. Had somebody give them swaddling clothes had her give birth to Jesus and wrap him in those clothes, put him in a manger, and then had shepherds alarmed or told by, a, a, by angels who would walk in and see the Lamb of God and walk out and tell people that the Messiah, the Lamb of God, had come. God had prophesied all of this hundreds of years before. And we are here today in 2019 Still talking about this. Jesus is the most famous person in the world. You ever try to Google the name Jesus? My goodness. Two billion plus followers of him. Today, 2,000 plus years after his death, burial and resurrection. And how many of us in this room would say that Jesus has had an impact on my life? He's, he's given you peace. He's given you joy. How many of us can say that I was physically healed by somebody praying in the name of Jesus? There's a lot of hands in this place. How many of us have seen miracles, have faith experiences through the name of Jesus? You know, Paul, excuse me, Peter said, this is proof that this man was not just a man. He was the son of God. He is the king of kings. He didn't just die. He rose again. There's a reason why God is tugging on some people's hearts right now, because this is true. You might be seeing it for the very first time, that God so loved you that he gave his son, told you everything he would do so you would believe it. All so that you can have eternal life. And isn't that what the Bible says in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, you're part of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. That Why? That whoever would just believe in him would not perish, would not go to a devil's hell. Frankly, would not live their life like they're living in hell right now. But instead, 
could have everlasting life. The amazing future God has for you. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience Podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.